So last weekend I was away because I was on a father-son trip to New Orleans in Baton Rouge. Ten dads and ten fifth graders thought it would be a good idea to go down to New Orleans and spend three nights, and we did a number of different things. We went fishing, we went to some great restaurants in the French Quarter, and then last Saturday we went over to Baton Rouge to attend, yes, the LSU-Alabama football game. Do you remember that one? And so most of you know that I am a big college football fan. Uh, first and foremost, I'm a TCU fan. We're still undefeated as of last night, much to the chagrin of Tennessee fans. Uh, but we won. But I'm also a lifelong Alabama fan because my mother went to Alabama. And so I grew up chasing the tide all over the southeast. And, and my mom passed away 17 years ago, and that's one way that I still feel a bond with her. Um, so 20 of us go down. And we go to, to Tiger Stadium, and do you think that I you know, could have played it safe and worn TCU purple? No, I had to wear the Crimson Tide, and Clayton did not. He likes LSU for some reason. And so we went to this game, and we had a, a great weekend and a, and a lot of fun, but going to Tiger Stadium on a Saturday night wearing the opposing team's colors is not something that I would recommend to you. Walking in, somebody stole my pom-pom out of my back pocket. Once we got into the game, because my son would not stand with me and support Alabama, I looked like a random Alabama fan standing in the middle of Tiger Stadium. Uh, second quarter, I got hit in the side of the neck with a big wrapper full of hamburger wrappers. I was okay. About a quarter later, uh, somebody threw a beer that hit Clayton and not me. <clears throat> and if you watch the game, then you know that LSU somehow managed to pull that off and beat Nick Saban and the Alabama Crimson Tide. And um, so getting out of that stadium was even harder than getting in when you were wearing the opposite uh, team. And so we get to, you know, thinking about this, we get there, get out of the van, we're walking to the tailgate. First thing you hear, tiger bait, tiger bait, tiger bait. You know, that's what they yell at you. And um, it was just one of those situations where I would never recommend that you do that. If your team plays at LSU, just do yourself a favor and watch it on TV. Um, it's safer. It's safer that way. But, um, but it was a lot of fun. But I want you to know that because of my roots, because of trying to be loyal to my mother, um, I stood faithful in supporting the Alabama Crimson Tide. We're talking about faithfulness this morning, but it's a different kind of faithfulness. We're in this sermon series where we're focusing on the fruits of the Spirit. And we've been through many of them. Uh, last week, Roy preached in here, Jay preached at the bridge on, on goodness or generosity and kindness. And today we come to faithfulness. So Paul says in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When we live our lives in Christ, these are the things that become evident. These are the fruits. Jesus said, you will know them by their fruits. Rubel Shelley, a friend of mine, a minister in this town for many years, came to speak to my Vanderbilt class about a week or a week and a half ago, and we were talking about the fruits of the Spirit. And he said something that stuck with me. He said, the fruit of the Spirit is love. But love manifests itself as joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Isn't that interesting? When we live in Christ, we love. And when we love, we experience all these other things. I want to talk about faithfulness. 
Not faithfulness to a college football team. Not faithfulness to the Tennessee Titans, which see many of our friends are not here this morning. They're down there supporting that. Faithfulness as it relates to your life in general. What does it mean to be faithful? What does that involve? Bill Haslam, former governor of Tennessee, respected by Republicans and Democrats, somebody that I consider a friend, wrote a great book about a year ago called Faithful Presence. And in the book, he says this, it is my hope that Christians, in being faithful to the role that God has called us to, will become people who help heal the political differences that are ripping our country apart. It is my hope that rather than reacting out of fear of what we might be losing, we will engage as people who are committed to serving in the public square for the common good. And then he says this, this is what I think faithful presence looks like in life. Faithful presence begins with presence. You have to show up. Somebody once said, half of life is showing up. Then it moves beyond anger and withdrawal or assimilation. It considers it everybody's neighborhood. It acts justly, loves mercy, and walks humbly, as Michael once said, and it speaks the truth in love. Let me say those things again. Faithful presence begins with presence, moves beyond anger, withdrawal, and assimilation, considers it everybody's neighborhood, acts justly, loves mercy, and walks humbly, and speaks the truth in love. I like this understanding of faithful presence because our world right now needs more of this. But I want to talk today specifically about what faithfulness might look like in our lives as Christians, as spouses, as parents, and as friends. I want you to look in your bulletin this morning, if you have one, and you'll see a little pie chart that's a part of the, uh, the inserts. I want you to think about the number of hours that we have in a given week. If you do the, the math, seven times 24, that gives you 168. Of those hours, we would spend, it varies, maybe 50 to 60, 50 to 56 hours sleeping, right? Getting our rest to reset. Some of you say, I wish I could get that much sleep, but I don't. My question for you this morning is, what are you doing with the rest of your hours? I want you to think about it, and even if you want, graph it this morning on that pie chart. How much time do you spend at work? How much time do you spend on spiritual growth and, and reflection? How much time do you spend with your spouse? And I'm talking about quality time with your spouse. How much time do you spend with your children and with your family and with your friends? I want us to think about this in our own lives. I had the staff do that this week because I think sometimes we say that these things are really important, but when we put pen to paper, we realize that we're not putting enough time into one of these given areas. So let's talk about some of them. First of all, what does it mean to be faithful as a Christian? Faithfulness as a Christian means that you have to show up, you have to worship, you have to pray, you have to connect with others, you have to find a way to serve and make a difference. And remember, faith is something that we live out. We don't just talk about it. James says, faith without works is dead. You can't just have faith. You got to go and do faith. Jesus told us to love God and love our neighbor. Then he gave us the great commission from our scripture reading this morning. 
Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, he said, I'm with you always until the end of the age. You know, this was a commission, not a suggestion, not something that he said, if you feel like it, if you want to do it. He said, no, go and make disciples of all nations. Um, Woodmont, how are we doing with that? Are we talking about our faith? Are we, are we inviting people to be a part of our church? Are we, are we talking about how Christ has changed our lives? Has Christ changed our lives? Paul writes to Timothy, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. After everything that, that he had been through, Paul could say, I left it all out there. I, I did my very best. He did everything he could to spread the message of of Jesus Christ in the face of hardship and persecution and prison and all the setbacks that he had. And so what I'm saying this morning is that being a faithful Christian is much more than just having the right beliefs or or going to the right church or, or checking the box. It's letting Christ change your life and your heart so that you can go and change the lives of other people. That's our path here, seeking, sharing, serving. And then when we do this, we will experience the fruit of the Spirit that we've been talking about. And there are going to be times when we're tired, and times when we feel beat down, and times when people are cruel, and circumstances seem overwhelming. But we have to remain faithful through it all. Many of you know Steve and Deb LaForge. They're not here this morning because they're serving But Steve came to talk to me this this past week, and I didn't know what he wanted. And Steve told me that he and Deb have made the hard decision to move to North Carolina to be closer to their children and grandchildren. Now, if you've been at Woodmont for a while, you know how much Steve and Deb LaForge do for our mission and outreach ministry. When he retired from his corporate job, he came on our staff and he said, I just want to go and serve. And that's what he has done. And, and, And so with Steve and Deb getting ready to leave here in about a month, I think the question is, Will the rest of us step up to serve and make a difference in this community because there is so much need in Nashville and beyond? Secondly, this morning, what does it mean to be faithful in marriage? Or if you're not married, to be faithful in your relationship? Well, it means that you don't cheat on your spouse because you made a vow not to do that. But over the years, I've helped many couples who've been through difficult times, rebuild trust, rebuild their relationships, and go on loving each other again, it's absolutely possible. But being faithful in marriage involves many different things. Putting the other person first. Listening when they are talking. Right, Megan? (laughs) Building up the other person. She reminds me of that. Building up the other person, not criticizing all the time. Carving out time to grow in your relationship. Even if you have kids, they can't dominate everything. What I see with couples is they have their children and they love their children, but the children dominate everything and they don't carve out time for each other. And then after a while, they've neglected that relationship, that bond, and they have to be reintroduced to each other. Not getting angry or resentful or irritated. You remember Gary Chapman, he wrote that book called The Five Love Languages. Many people have read it, talked about it. He says, there's five ways that we show love to other people. There's quality time, there's physical touch, there's acts of service, words of affirmation, and gifts. 
I wish I had written that book because those are the five ways that we show love to each other. Do you know your spouse's love language and do you speak that to them on a regular basis? Don't just speak yours all the time. The biggest problem in marriage and in relationships, at least that I see, is people put it on cruise control and they assume it's just going to take care of itself. They don't invest, they don't nurture, they don't keep growing. And that's when couples get into trouble. Marriage is not easy, but it's meaningful. It involves disappointment and unmet expectations. But how we manage those disappointments makes all the difference. Healthy marriages embody the fruit of the Spirit. Unhealthy marriages do not. So to have a healthy marriage or a relationship means that you intentionally invest in it and you don't just assume that it'll take care of itself. My third question this morning, what does it mean to be faithful as a parent or a grandparent for many of you? Well, I'm still trying to figure this one out because it changes as your kids get older. You make mistakes in parenting and and then you hopefully don't make them again with your next child. But faithful parents first, uh, it, it means you have to let your kids know how much you love them which means that they can't do everything that they want. And the other thing to remember is that as a parent, your kids are always watching you, and they will absolutely call out your hypocrisy, which for me includes quoting your sermons right back at you when you have said something. So don't tell them to not get mad if you're mad all the time. Don't tell them to get off their screens if you're on your phone all the time. Don't tell them that they're in trouble and then not carry out a punishment. Don't tell them to use manners if you don't use manners. Don't tell them that faith is important if you don't ever come to church. Our kids are always watching what we say and do, and so we have to make sure that we are living out what we are teaching. Parents must be parents and not their kids' best friend. That's one of the things that's shifted in our culture is that parents are looking for approval from their kids, their teenagers. They want affirmation, and that keeps them from parenting. What does it say in Proverbs? Raise up a child in the way he should go, and when he is older, he will not stray, or she. Parenting is hard work, but it's some of the most important work that we will ever do. Raising and training young human beings to be respectful and contributing members of society and who live with Christian values and character. Somebody once said, the days are long, but the years are fast. And for those of you that are grandparents and you're seeing your children have children, you know exactly what that means. My final question this morning, what does it mean to be faithful when it comes to friendship? Research shows that people have fewer friends today than they've ever had before. Some people are much better at this than others. Some people say that they have close friends, but then they never, they never spend time with them. And then over time, they wonder what happened to the friendship. You know, friendship takes intentionality. And frankly, there are lots of different factors that determine who your friends are, where you grew up, where you go to college or grad school, where your kids go to school, where you go to church. Studies show that that, that that number of friends has been declining, but why is that? I don't want fewer friends. I want more friends. But the reality is you can only be in so many places and in so many circles. 
So choosing the people that you want to spend time with is absolutely essential. Last night, we had the uh, kindergarten parents uh, over to our house, and I was probably not a good host because I was watching the TCU-Texas game, and it occurred to me, like, halfway through the game, half of these people are Tennessee fans, and they want TCU to lose, and they just don't want to say anything. But, but we do this as a church because we want parents who are in the same stage of life to connect with other people who are going through the same struggles and the same challenges. And, and, and Abby's great at setting this up. What does it mean to have to raise a kindergartner? What are the, what are the challenges that we have? What are the things that are hard? And, and so we always want to encourage parents to bond and support each other here. Friendship doesn't just happen. It takes effort. To be a faithful friend, you have to check in. You have to invite people to come over. You have to make the time. And there are different levels of friendship. You've got close friends, and then you just got friends, and then you got acquaintances. And we all have people in each of these categories. But, but we, we can't be close friends with everybody. It's not possible. But remember this. The quality of your life will always be directly tied to the quality of your friendships and your relationships. Jesus knew this. He surrounded himself with 12 disciples. He had Mary and Martha and the others as well. Being a good friend takes effort. Are you being faithful in your friendships? Ecclesiastes, it says, two are better than one, because if one falls, they will have another to pick them up. What does it mean to be faithful? What does it mean to fight the good fight, to finish the race, to keep the faith? That's the question that I want you to reflect upon this morning. It's a question that I hope all of us will ask. Amen.